Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, small children, people with animals, thank you for coming, for coming to the very first ever podcast against Make a lot of noise. Woo! Okay, we are Plot Points. We are here to open up podcast against We have four and a half minutes, starting right now, to discuss... Man, that's pretty quick. ...fiasco. Um, and then we are going to interview Ryan Shattuck, and then we're going to pass it off to the Golden Throw to Ross Payton. Um, so... Fiasco is a game written by Jason Morningstar. It uses an innovative dice rolling mechanic to imitate Coen Brothers movies. Uh, I've never actually played it, but you guys have. It's, uh, it's awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah, it basically makes uh, terrible, people, terrible people with terrible uh, choices with great ambitions all happen, very much so. Uh, I think every single time I've played it, it's literally come out like a Coen Brothers uh, film. Oh, uh, we've actually uh, We've actually played Break a Leg, which is the one we're talking about here. Uh, <laughs> which is a, great if you have any experience in theater. Oh, yeah. Is it theater? Uh-huh. It's, it's a theater. It's a theater. Oh, yeah. theater-based oh, one, yeah. and great. all the terrible things that happen in the backstage of a theater, yep. um, just to show some relations are to get revenge, uh, to get more revenge, uh, bad studio blood. Now, how do you how do you use those? Because you don't have a character in Fiasco, right? No, uh, you're making it. You basically uh, you roll your dice, and then you get to pick up a, a thing like a, a setup. You either get to do um, a relationship. Uh, you get to do uh, a need or, or something like that to help set up the scenario. Now when you play, you either get to decide if A, you succeed, or B, you pick the scene. Okay. So you get to choose one. The other person gets to choose the other one. So you can want a scene. You can basically win. You're like, okay, I want to I wanna, um, get what I want out of the scene. Well, the other person is going to have that terrible confrontation that you didn't want to have. And you're stuck with it. Welcome to Coen Brothers, the movie. Right, and it's great. And it's kind of one of those really super narrative-based systems that doesn't have a GM per se. You may have like your expert person who knows actually what the hell is going on. I mean, heck, or are we worried about that? Too know. late now. Are you late? Okay. We only, look, we only have two more minutes to talk about this. We've got to keep going. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't work underneath this pressure. <laughs> you have to. I thought, I thought my favorite detail from the whole thing was the uh, revolver loaded with blanks. Oh, and yeah. the, quote, totally safe uh, grenade, grenade drops. The totally safe yeah. grenade. Oh, yeah, so now, now, in theory, you could you, you, you could choose to put that in a scene, yeah, but that's then the other a, person then decides how to use it? Is that correct? Uh, you, yeah. get, you choose to put that in the scene. You get to decide if you succeed at what you're, you're going for in that scene. The other person gets to decide what the scene is. So uh, they get to decide... If My personal a, favorite is somebody else's Tony Award. Somebody else's Tony yeah. Award. Because so, that's great. Yeah, it, it was pretty good. Now, so. now, I have to say that like not having played this, I would imagine it results in a lot of like fetching, complaining, and fighting at the table. Is that what happens? Uh, no, it actually boils down pretty quickly. Like, yeah, you, you're going to get screwed over at some point, but that's the point of it. Like, you're, you're a terrible person. You get terrible situations that are just going to ruin you. So. The mindset of fiasco that I like to have when I go into play is what I want to happen is probably not going to happen and things are probably going to suck and but that's going to be okay because it's just you're not going to get your way all the time I, I go in trying to have the most ridiculously dark sardonic points <laughs> ever happen in the game so that it, yeah it's pretty good we have 90 seconds left to discuss this now Ken Height said <laughs> that uh, he believes that the gaming industry is not yet fully grokked um, fiasco and its implications, and again, I, I've, I've, I've read it, and I, I read um, Mark Diaz Truman wrote a fiasco hack. What is it? Nope. 
Yeah. Last Best Hope. That, that's what it was. Oh, Last Best Hope. I can't, yes. I can't think under pressure. So uh, Mark Diaz Truman actually did a, I don't, a, a fiasco hack, essentially, where instead of it being a Coen Brothers inspiration, uh, you take your inspiration from movies like uh, The Asteroid's Gonna Hit the Earth, and I can't oh, think of it because Deep Impact. Thank you. Deep Impact. And, and <laughs> Armageddon with Ben Affleck saving the world. Ben's um, playing charades. We, only have, we have less than 60 seconds to talk before we have to bring Ryan Shattuck up here, so I'm trying to hurry. Um, and uh, so. Well, again, Ken Heitz said that uh, the gaming industry hasn't fully taken uh, taken in um, the implications of Fiasco yet. And really, the only thing I can think of like Fiasco is uh, Our Last Best Hope by Mark Diaz Truman. So I would say he's probably right about that. Yeah, I could I could see that. It's so open-ended, you can make so many seconds. stories with it. Okay, so again, we're plot points. Where can, you find, us, where can you find us on the internet? Uh, plot <laughs> yeah, and we are uh, we are on Lipson, we are on Stitcher, and our email is plotpointsemail at gmail.com. Hi, who are you? I'm Ryan Chatter. And what are you known for? Um, well, I do third-party publishing, mostly with um, stuff relating to the Cypher system. So Monty Cook Games, uh, third-party licensing. And, and what is the Cypher system? It is the uh, the system that powers Numenera, the Strange, and now it's its own sort of broad universal setting. Um, it sort of leverages a combination of story focus, rules light, and like fun mechanic, like tactical mechanics. And, and you you first came to my attention when I was looking at Numera, Numenera supplements last year. Um, you were consistently in the hottest new titles on Drive Through RPG, mm -hmm. and when I went to look at how you're doing this year, uh, your products are rated over 4.5 stars mm -hmm. on yeah. Drive Through RPG. So clearly, you have a dedicated fan base that really enjoys what you do. Uh, what is it that you think most leads to people literally like going and buying all your stuff and then giving you these amazing ratings, other than obviously a quality product? Um, well, hopefully it's because they like the quality. I mean, I, I really think that um, the advantage of uh, being a third-party publisher, publishing little, you know, stuff that's like 50 to 100 pages um, and that I can put together in a couple months is that I can really iterate on what I've done before, learn from what I've done, and get better, like, and respond to feedback. I think we live, live in a time where you really have, uh, you know, uh, social media makes us uh, almost like a vendor out on the street corner experiencing our audience like in real time and, and developing based on what they want and, and their feedback so it uh, hopefully it's because the fans feel like they can um, you know tell me what they think now what's it like working with Monty Cook Games because I've had great experiences with them as people and with them as a company but being a third party provider must be at some points frustrating because it's kind of like building your house on uh, rented land <laughs> uh, you're putting all this effort in but are they still capping the number of copies you can sell um, they cap. Uh, there's an earnings cap on any individual license, but I I think that you can just kind of re up an, a license to okay. buy it again. So I pay a hundred bucks to have a, a earnings cap of two thousand dollars on any given title, and I'm probably not going to reach that very quickly. Okay. Um, you know, and you can put out a lot of product. You know. Okay. Two and a half minutes. Well. Two and a half. No. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half minutes to talk yet. Okay. So, um, following question. Um, are they now? They have to approve every book that you write, correct? There's not a lot of approval involved. Okay. I basically send them the contract, and it says what the book's going to be about, and they make sure there isn't like violence against children involved. Okay. <laughs> There's <laughs> it's nothing truly it's pretty simple, yeah. Okay. I mean, or that isn't directly stepping on the toes, probably, of what they're doing. But there's a lot of us buying licenses. Um, 
So to be honest, you know, I, kind of whatever you're interested in doing. I did a lot of weird stuff that they may not have thought was really what Numenera is about, mm -hmm. but I thought it was. Like, for instance, a book just about courtly intrigue. So, you know, that was what I wanted to do in Numenera. But post-apocalyptic, pseudo-dungeon-crawly settings aren't always about politics and probably weren't designed that way. I, that's what I wanted. And uh, and they, they get back to you in a timely fashion, reviewing contracts and things like that? Yeah, relatively. Okay. They, they've yeah. been getting better about it all the time. Matt um, Sanderson in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, and uh, last question, I think. Best supplement you have personally written and why? What would you, and again, everyone who's listening to this, what would you send them to go look at and drive through? Um, I would I would definitely take a look at, uh, whew, it's hard to say. Um, we did a supplement called Angels and Ashes, which was weird. It was sort of like, what if... <laughs> you have 40 seconds to explain weird. What if arcane magic was in a science fantasy setting because of nanotechnology, which is already part of the premise of Numenera, but we really delved into sort of like mystery cults and sort of traditional fantasy trips like druids and things like that and how that plays out when it's all derived from nanotech and what those nanotech were designed for originally. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, it was fun. And, uh, oh, and other, is there any place other than drive through people should go to look at your stuff? No, or you can find me, I guess, on Twitter for Chaddock. I'm at Chaddock R. At Chaddock R, okay. This is Josh Green, Roblox Public Radio, and we're doing uh, the RPG. I like to call it the podcast jamboree because that was the original title. Ooh, uh, yeah, yeah, I like that better. That was. Um, so I have an idea to uh, do something like an ex exquisite corpse, but for RPGs. So um, I would like to take someone give me a theme or an element to start the initial encounter of an adventure. Then I'll say that in like a sentence or two, and then. The next person, uh, then I'll give a theme or an element for someone else to take it up. Uh, so like uh, uh, her, and then like someone else can volunteer. We will just go until we get about eight or nine minutes, and then uh, we'll try and summarize what this adventure is. Uh, so someone give me a theme or an element. Uh, betrayal. Betrayal. Oh, really? oh, dark. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. True. Um, so betrayal is. Uh, in a small town, uh, somewhere isolated, uh, the, there's the one family that controls everything, and the son, uh, the younger son betrays the older <laughs> brother uh, for, uh, so he can get the inheritance. Uh, so that, so the way it starts out is the, uh, or at least that's what the younger son tells the players, that he wants to betray his older brother. Uh, and he'll give them a cut of the wealth. So this is how it begins. This is the job. Uh, so the next element uh, for you would be a bouquet of flowers. So what happens next? The bouquet of flowers is totally part of the betrayal because part of the things that is making the eldest brother the most uh, eligible for the Inheritance. Uh, inheritance, yes, yeah. is his marriage to the other slightly less powerful oh, family okay, that's yeah. in the town, and her name is Mabel. She's pretty. Yeah. And so that is how the bouquet of flowers is how the uh, younger brother is going to try to woo Mabel away from the older brother <laughs> and continue the betrayal not only on a monetary level but on a deep personal romantic Ooh. level. Alright, uh, so what's the next element and who wants to volunteer next? Uh, let's make it... It can be a thing, it can be an object, it could be a time or a place. Ooh, let's go the mansion. The mansion, alright, so who wants to 
Uh, anybody? 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 Come on. Uh, You're all podcasters. You should be dying for this. Max like, Anderson, you have 35,000 words to write for World War II. Come on. Nothing's coming up? Yeah. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anybody didn't hear I'll that, go. that was a oh, screw yeah, you. I'll, go there. I'll, go there. <laughs> I'll, I'll be bold and many forces will come to my aid. Yeah. So, uh, the mansion. Uh, beneath the mansion is a twisting den of tunnels <laughs> inhabited by living Barbie dolls. Oh, gross. Living Barbie dolls uh, were made ambulatory by hate. The deep hate uh, falling from the betrayal in the mansion above okay. with the flowers. Okay. And Mabel. And the ambulatory Barbie dolls decide that they are going to attack the player characters uh, and defend the brother who does not deserve to be betrayed, and okay. they will defend them with butcher knives. Butcher knives, so that's the next element. Uh, all right, so who wants to pick up from there with using butcher knives, Eric? I'll take it. And what podcast are you with? I'm from the MPC cast. And what's your name? Aaron. You may hold this. All right. Uh, so butcher knives. Uh, the, the thing about Mabel is she is actually a centuries-old witch uh, that is actually killing her suitors uh, in order to a betrayal upon betrayal. Life force. Oh, that is so. Yes, there, there's multiple levels to this betrayal. Oh, it's layers uh, upon layers. So yeah, she usually uh, performs a ritualistic butcher knife murder, uh, and that's how she drains the age and essence of these uh, suitors and. And okay. to live on forever. Um, yes, so the next element that we need. Yeah, it can be whatever. Uh, the next element is unicorns. Yes! Yes, unicorns. <laughs> Whoever wants okay. to take that. Uh, yeah. Rob, Mad Dog Whelan. Who are you? Hi, I'm Rob Whelan. And what are you writing? Uh, uh, whatever pays. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer. <laughs> uh, the unicorns are uh, Mabel's hobby. Uh, because she makes, uh, while she is able to uh, put the flesh of the, her dead suitors on the, the Barbie dolls in the basement, she has Holy. to do something with the bones. Holy. Which is why she makes intricately carved unicorns that she sells at local craft fairs and conventions, and that's how she's able to continue to pay for this gigantic mansion and uh, make sure that the uh, IRS doesn't come and you know, take it away from <laughs> property taxes or what have you. So there are innocent uh, children throughout the county who have these pretty little unicorns made out of human bone on their shelves that don't even know it. Okay. Uh, uh, wow. I feel like I don't even know you right now, Rob. <laughs> What's the next element? Uh, the next element is uh, the is the person who finds out her secret at the state fair. Ooh. <gasps> uh, the big reveal at the state, okay, so the state fair, big reveal. Uh, who wants to pick up from there? Uh, All right, big reveal, anybody? State fair, big reveal. Uh, I was also telling Ben that this is actually a, a fairly consistent example of how you play fiasco of yeah. combining all these mm -hmm. elements. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll take it. Uh, so the big reveal at the state fair. Uh, or did you want to take it? No, okay. I, if you don't mind. Oh, go for okay. it. Okay, no, so here we go. The big reveal at the state fair is because the um, 
there's this big uproar socially about you know the idea of using ivory to make all of these sculptures there's this one person who's like oh my god that must be ivory and she's like no it's not ivory so this leads to an entire investigation where one of her sculptures is secretly taken away from her booth while she's not looking because they're totally doing this super sneaky like and it's taken to be analyzed in a um uh, in a lab and they find out that it is actually human DNA and match it to one of her former suitors who has been put on the missing person list because you know her suitors are awesome and then people are gonna miss them when they're gone so they find out that it's all human bones and they come to get her and it's craziness and the next element will be uh, the jail the jail okay uh, so what happens at the jail um... I will say, well, so I'll take it back. Uh, so, uh, at the jail, uh, the player characters finally figured out this mystery, and they're co they're confronting Mabel and her army of living Barbie dolls, uh, and uh, the two brothers have been reunited. Uh, but it turns out that Mabel uh, is immortal. Uh, she's an immortal witch, so she can't be killed normally. So they have her in jail, but she's like, what are you going to do? You can't kill, you can't, you know, I'll, I'll escape sooner or later and then I'll get revenge on all of you. Uh, but then uh, they discover her weakness, uh, which is she can only be defeated uh, via dance-off. Uh, she must be served. Uh, so that is the element. Awesome. Uh, but she is an amazing dancer. So who? So that that's your next element. How do you, the players beat her through a dance off? Do it serving her? Like what? Oh. How does that work? Uh, did you? Did you? Oh, I did. Keep or did you? Yeah, yeah Lily, you no. Yes, yeah. I have something if you want. Oh, what would we? Yeah, uh, Brad's going. Uh, yeah. Little be notes to the witch. Uh, the player characters are actually the Packers' defensive line, and they totally can dance like in the kitchen. <laughs> okay, this is a very specific adventure now. So are they like the Scooby Gang? I imagine. Okay, so I think that that's the adventure there. I think we can stop there too, because we have like a minute or so, a minute and a half to uh, summarize. So the players are uh, the Packers defensive line are hired by the younger brother <laughs> to help him uh, woo Mabel and yes. get revenge on the older brother. Mm -hmm. But then they stumble upon Mabel being a witch with her army of living Barbie dolls and crazy creepy and unicorns. ritualistic butcher knives. You know, and crazy creepy unicorns and crazy creepy unicorns. Uh, so they have to go to the state fair and have this whole heist basically to steal away one of the unicorns without her noticing so they can analyze it. And even when they get the proof and they arrest her, she's like, aha, I'm immortal, I'll escape when the moon is full or whatever. And so then I can only be defeated by a dance-off, but you can dance, you're a football player. So they're like, oh yeah? Uh, I feel like this is a barn burner of an adventure. I can't, I, you guys, you know, should run out and get it right away. Uh, and you know what? The family is now happy because they all know that they're missing people are at least dead. But the thing is, it, this, need, this thing does need to be playtested, though, because I feel that most player groups would just shoot both brothers with shotguns. Uh, oh, why yeah. can we loot both bodies? Can we just take right, them? Right, right. And can we make a deal with the witch? She sounds pretty awesome. Right, like, like can she uh, customize? How much are those unicorns? Can we sell them yeah. wholesale? Yeah. Right, yeah. Can we like customize it? Make yeah. it like a huge thing? Oh my god, yeah. Maybe that should be the book. Just uh, <gasps> uh, unicorns made from human bone have magic powers. Oh, no, 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 no. They no, give no. you bonuses to death. Or you'd be like, make your loved ones into a unicorn after you die, and they'll be forever immortalized as a unicorn. <laughs> wow, that got creepy. <laughs> Bone Unicorn was my okay. high school scalp band name. Thank you. Where, where can we find Roleplaying Public Radio? 
Slagzine.com slash RPPR or just Google Roleplaying Public Radio. And where uh, does your meetup after this? Uh, it's at the Hyatt. Uh, it's going on r- until question right marks. Now. Yes. Okay. Uh, so welcome to the Hyatt after this. Yes. I may not be there because okay. I have a business meeting too. <laughs> but uh, Tom Church will be there, and they'll, they, we have a banner. We actually uh, nice. have a giant banner. Uh, Give uh, Ross some love. Gamers and welcome to the Grimdark Podcast. I think I'm actually going to take this to a bit of a lighter place, despite my regular <laughs> my regular show topic from the last one. But I'll definitely back that uh, that project on Kickstarter if it goes there. Uh, if you haven't heard our show before, we're a uh, podcast that follows the role playing lines around Warhammer 40k, designed by Fantasy Flight Games. Both myself and my co-host who couldn't make it are former employees of uh, Games Workshop, so. We've, uh, we've worked on the lines before and now we do a podcast about it, or at least about the role-playing side of it. Unfortunately, my, my co-host got himself engaged in the last, uh, last month or so, accidentally, and uh, couldn't afford to fly a bit to North America and, and be here. But uh, it's a pleasure, privilege to be at the uh, first annual podcast again, live right now at uh, Gen Con 2015. Uh, so, uh, normally we, uh, we talk about a few things in our show. We do about a one and a half to two hour show. I'm going to try and get it down substantially to a, a handful of minutes. Uh, we talk about we basically cover the role playing lines. Talk about what's going on from Games Workshop as well. Uh, we also cover the upcoming uh, Warhammer Eternal Crusade MMO, uh, and we try to give some general gaming advice. Try to have some stuff in there that applies to all games, not just what we follow. And uh, as Ben mentioned, we are uh, up for an nomination in our second year, which is uh, a real privilege as well. Uh, so what we're going to do is, rather than going through all of our regular show topics, I'm just going to focus on uh, one of our main areas, which is our, I guess our news segment. Talk about what's happening at Gen Con this year. Uh, so unfortunately, I uh, got onto the Gen Con stand for FFG and found there was no new material today for the, uh, the podcast or for the, uh, the product lines that we follow. Uh, there is still the in-flight uh, presentation coming up tomorrow, but uh, hoping we'll see something there. We have seen some hints from uh, the company Dice Labs, which makes the character sheet app for the game. Uh, they started to preview that there will be something happening potentially at Gen Con, so hopefully we'll see something new and great there. Did manage to pick up the uh, the expansion pack for Warhammer Conquest today, which is the Great Devourer. Uh, had a look through that, so uh, everything that they've told us about in the previous that has been been there, so it looks like a great product to uh, get out and play. I'm sure Mike, my co-host, who is a big fan of Tyranids, will be very happy to uh, get his hands on that and, uh, and trounce my armies once more. Uh, Games Workshop had a stand, or has two stands at the show actually, one is focused entirely on Age of Sigma and uh, just standing in line this morning for the early access I heard a lot of people uh, really panning the product unfortunately. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite a divisive thing as, as we mentioned on the show before, there's people out there putting up YouTube videos of them burning their entire armies in a, in a fire but uh, uh, certainly there's a bit of uh, hate going around in the, in, the, in the early access lines this morning but uh, there were a few people around the stand at the, uh, the Gen Con booth uh, unfortunately, you couldn't actually playtest it there. It was just a display of figures, but there is also another uh, Games Workshop stand at the show, which has, uh, it's mainly run by Forge, but they've got a retail store there as well. But uh, definitely Age of Sigma is the big focus for, for GW right now. Uh, looking at their website as well, they're currently still releasing some uh, new Imperial Guard or uh, Astra Minotaurum uh, figures, and also got pre-orders on some new, new Tyranny gear as well. So once again, should make Mike happy. Moving over to the uh, MMO side of the business, uh, we've seen a new State of the Crusade update from Brent Ellison this week. Uh, he talked about the uh, territory control system for 
for the uh, MMO. Uh, basically, the idea is that uh, if you're not familiar with the Atomic uh, Crusader MMO, it's not so much your typical World of Warcraft style, it's more of a, uh, a mass battle system uh, with character development. Uh, basically, it's built on a, a, a large world map for by the territories. You sign up to take part in a battle, which can be up to a thousand players once the game goes full noise. And uh, the idea is the attackers and defenders have different objectives on their map, so you're trying to both you know, defend your defend your objective and also attack your, your opponent's one. Uh, these missions also up to campaigns, uh, and the campaign objectives are different for army as well, so each side's fighting for different things. Uh, so that's really it for our, our news slide. Just to talk about what we normally do on our show. Our regular show format is after we do the news, we do a system discussion, so we pick one element of the game system we talk about. So there are five game systems, Dark Heresy, uh, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, and Only War. Uh, we rotate through each system uh, once per episode or such, so every five episodes we'll cover each system once. Uh, so we'll normally pick something, some element of the system, either from a current book or a newly released book, break it down, talk about what actually works, what doesn't work, give the GM some advice on how you can make that happen, tell players how you can exploit the system as well in some cases, because Mike is definitely a min-maxer. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then we'll pick one of the, uh, the character options as such, so one of the careers or specialties, and we'll, we'll, we'll break that down as well, go through some build options, try and come up with some ideas that are both uh, mechanically advantageous and also thematically advantageous as well, something that fits the, the style of the, of the game system as well. Uh, we'll pick one of the products that's recently released and do a review. Since some of the game lines are getting a bit dated now, I think uh, eight or nine years ago was the first one, was the first release. Uh, when we get to some of those game things, we will pick other topics or other, other products from within the, the world that are not necessarily related to the RPG, so we'll pick the novels, audio books, uh, board games, anything else that's related to one of 40k and, and review that as well. Uh, and then we also like to do some, uh, some gaming tips, so come up with something like whether it's about how to get good horror into your game or uh, uh, how to build suspense, how to handle uh, player versus player action and such in a, in a, in a cooperative game, uh, how to get the, the theme of 40k into your uh, game as well. We'll pick some topic there and go through that as well. Uh, if you do want to check us out, we have a website which is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. And we've also got a Google Plus page at plus.google.com slash plus line grimdartpodcast. We are going to do a regular show as part of uh, our Gen Con weekend. This is our regular weekend for publishing as well. So uh, expect to show up in the next sort of three to four days after Gen Con. Uh, we'll be covering obviously everything that's happened at the con, what's at the in-flight presentation. We'll have a recorder there, so you'll get to hear whatever happened there on the show as well. Uh, and given that we do cover a setting each game, it is our, our Rogue Trader uh, camp, our Rogue Trader episode, which is now really the oldest system, once you discount the fact that Dark Heresy has been replaced by a second edition. So uh, hopefully we might hear some stuff about a new edition there. We speculated, uh, based upon my, my limited conversations with the guys from FFG so far, who are very tight-lipped, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to actually see anything for, for Rogue Trader at this con, but uh, we can still speculate anyway. Uh, so that's really it for me. Uh, do check out the show if you enjoy it, and thanks once again to the team here for putting this together. Thank you. The NPC cast. Yeah. I have a timer for this, and I have show notes that I wrote on this envelope that I got my Gen Con event tickets in. That is a fancy envelope. It's pretty nice. It has like a little this window is, on the this front. This is any award-winning technology, or any yeah. award-nominated yeah. technology. Yeah. Kids, Sorry. that's how you do it. All right, let's get this started.
right now. Hello everyone, welcome to NPC Cast, your place for face-to-face -face games. My name is Chris, I'm coming to you from sunny Indianapolis, Indiana, and like I always do, I brought an NPC along for the ride with me. To my right, he is the man, the myth, the legend, the goatee. He is NPC Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm great. All right, excellent, let's get to this. We're gonna do a campaign crucible. Now, if you've listened to our show before, you know what a campaign crucible is, but a lot of people don't, Aaron, so Tell them, at home, what a campaign crucible is. We each bring one ingredient to the table. That ingredient can be a thing, an idea, something that makes a campaign world for you to run in. We mix them together and we come up with something obviously very goofy. We're down one host today. We are. Uh, we don't have Dell. So we Die. each have an ingredient and we're going to crowdsource our third one. Yes, yeah, so I wrote my ingredient on the back of this envelope, uh, but I'm not gonna reveal it yet because I want to crowdsource the, the ingredient first. That way I want to influence them Okay. Because they'll give us something easy. All I right. want them to give us a hardball. So we need one ingredient. It could be a theme, could be um, a person, a place, a thing, robots. any sort of element. What was that? Robots. Robots. Okay, perfect. So robots is in the campaign crucible. My element is professional necromancers. So the players of some sort are professional necromancers. Uh, my ingredient is the Bushido code. Oh, okay. This is going to be great. So, uh, in this world, where where are we setting this? It has to be some sort of uh, future type of uh, scenario where there's robots that exist. You know what I like? I like the idea of necromancers being the good guys. These yeah. professional necromancers are your your super soldiers to fight off a robot uprising. A robot Bushido uprising. <laughs> I was thinking more like, can robots follow the Bushido code? I think th they have a, a code, whatever they're programmed to follow, they so, can follow whatever so, code and they want. So in this, instead of like the uh, Asimov laws of robotics, the robots are programmed with the Bushido code. Yes. And that is how they operate. This is an alternate future where robots are now programmed with the Bushido code. Okay, and the and robot the Bushido coded robots were too strong for our modern technology. They overcame us. Yeah, making robots is never a good idea. And so, I don't know who thought of that, but then obviously there's a Bushido robot uprising. So, so I like the professional necromancers. Since we're going really tech with it, what if the way that necromancers operated in this world wasn't magic and it was nanotechnology? They okay. find corpses and dead things, they insert nanites into it, and the nanites resurrect and allow them to control the dead. Sure. And they're called necromancers, like magicians, because that's what it is. And so maybe through the Bushido code, the, or the reason the, the robots, not the reason the robots, but because of the robots follow the Bushido code, all of the their deceased are dispatched in a very ceremonial way. Um, so there's a, a small segment of uh, humans who are tasked with going out into the world, raising up their undead armies in order to eventually fight back against their robotic overlords. Something like that? Yes, I okay. like this. So uh, that's the setting that we have. Now normally we would go into some adventure hooks. So some adventure ideas that uh, player characters in this world might actually be doing. So it sounds like our player characters are gonna be a group of specialists who are tasked with going into the, the Bushido lands, finding all the, like, the burial grounds where they've put all the humans, uh, stored them, and sort of infiltrating there. So I'm getting kind of like a spy infiltrating vibe, or do you think that they're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with these robots? Uh, I think you could run it either way, but I like the infiltration vibe for the for like the general way the game works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, what, what, so we want a specific adventure hook? Yeah, something, anything. Uh, so while the we're running out of corpses at this point because he, there was only so much humanity to resurrect, right. and it took us a while to, per, to perfect the technology, so we wasted a couple dozen. Yeah. Uh, so now we have moved. We've also decided to start resurrecting uh, powerful animals and whatnot. Okay. So 
Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to break into an old, like, testing lab that has gone defunct, so now there are a lot of dead animals in there. Yeah. Uh, but the, the robots uh, see this, you know, they don't like us because it's corpse desecration, what we do to fight them as well. So right. we're, like, super bad. It's against them. their code. Yes. Uh, so the, the, I think a good, like, starter adventure is breaking into a old test lab having to resurrect some dead animals uh, as a new like a new program a new directive in the war on robots and it could even be something like um, you know resurrecting chimps because <laughs> these, these players are like just learning how to control the nanites they're not really able to resurrect full humans yet so they're actually they actually have to test on former test subjects in sort of a kind of weird macabre way in order to get their technology going as well and kind of master their abilities um, I think are we where are we putting the power level of our players are the are they able to control these nanites in other ways, are they uh, able to? Sure. Mimic? I mean, I think that'll give you more diverse, uh, more diverse player characters. Right. So let's say that the, the nanites can also mimic your traditional like uh, necromantic type magic, so they can you know suck energy because they're nanites, so they can suck nanitic, 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 nanitic. I don't know, man. It's going to take nine minutes. minutes I don't have, I don't have time yeah. to straighten they're that out They're going to siphon uh, electrical energy from the robots that they're dispatching, the Bushido robots, and that actually gives them access to more powerful nanites and even to control more at the same time. So they can do sort of... Nanergy. Sure. <laughs> it's, that's, in the morning, I eat some oatmeal, get a banana for some nanergy, and then you're good to go. You're good to go. All right, so uh, I think that's a good sort of starter adventure. Hub. Let's get to uh, the nitty-gritty. Now we'd like to talk about what kind of characters we would play in the setting were we to play in the setting. Do you have an idea? Yes. Uh, I'm going to be the revenge-motivated character. Okay. Uh, the Bushido robots dispatched my family. Uh, I was very upset about it, but... Uh, I didn't have the nanites or the power on hand to resurrect my whole family, but I did have enough to resurrect Rex, the family dog. <laughs> so now I'm wandering with like, uh, you know, I, I like to think it's more like, uh, it's not too far future. So I like to picture my guy like revolver, maybe like a, an ax, but not like, like a battle ax, like an ax you would use to split wood and like undead uh, nanotechnology controlled dog at his side. Uh, and you know he's listed up with the kind of ragtag resistance that uh, that we have, and you know they're always like, yeah, we have all this mission. He's like, do I get to kill robots? And like, oh. good, that's all I care about. Okay, cool. Uh, my guy is a, like a sniper. Uh, he fires uh, a nanite bullets at uh, at long distances to dispatch robots from far away. Uh, so that's kind of his big thing. He's like he's big on on guns and the technology of it because he has a secret. His grandfather was actually the inventor of the Bushido robots in the first place. My character can never find that out. No, of course not. Yeah. I, would, I would never tell your character. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, okay, I won't. Uh, so he's, he's sort of, he has his own sort of um, things that he's trying to deal with. Because his family, his bloodline is, is kind of responsible for everything that's going on in, in a horrible, horrible way. Uh, yes. Yeah, right. you should feel bad for yourself. What are we gonna call? <laughs> what are we calling this? Uh, this setting. That's the hardest part of the campaign, Crucible, and you decided to fit it into this. Yeah. Anyone uh, have any ideas? Robots versus zombies. Wait, <laughs> no. It's a little. Bushido bots. Ooh, Bushido bots. Easy. Uh, now every episode of NBC Cast, we also take time to say what we're excited about because we're excited about things all the time. I'm excited about Gen Con, and we just played a game recently uh, that was pretty awesome. It was Ashes by yes. Plaid Hat. Uh, designed by Isaac Vega. It's a card game. Um, it's really fun. I definitely recommend checking that out. He's quickly uh, jumping on my list of my favorite designers. He's up there. It also, he's also so adorably nice. He's a sweet true. guy. 
Yeah. Yeah, very uh, nice guy. It, it doesn't hurt that he keeps working with Fernanda Suarez, who is just, like, the best artist in board yeah. games right now. Also a nice person. We got to meet her at Gen Con as well. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, they can do that via social media. My Twitter handle is at NPC Chris. Aaron? At NPC Aaron. If you want to tweet at the whole gang, it's at NPCCast on Twitter. We have a Facebook page as well. Uh, that is Facebook.com slash NPCCast. And with time right now, I want to say Patreon.com slash NPCCast. Send us all of your money. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I want to fit that in before the, our nine minutes are up. All right, you have fitted in. Are right, we cool. done? Uh, yes, you can now all add 1,000 XP to your character sheets, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. I want to welcome the dulcet, dusky tones of Mr. Matt Sanderson to the stage, the solitary member of the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, who has come to visit, visit us. And do you need a wingman? Uh, no, it should be good, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had a bright idea while I was sat at the back, because typically with my level of prep, I end up doing most of the thing on the day. I let Scott do all the show notes and all, um, <laughs> and all the research and prep. So the, the one nice thing that's uh, definitely got me already feeling at home is I'm staring at the three low burning mic again. Um, we have a Yeti that we use at home, so I'm always sat uh, looking at the poor blinking red light of Hal uh, <laughs> there. So no, that's, that's good, so you're not the only ones using it. Right, um, the good friends of Jackson Elias, obviously take, uh, we're a group of three writers predominantly working with Call of Cthulhu. Um, Paul Fricker, who's the co-author of The Seventh Head Rules. Um, Scott Dord, who helped edit it and also wrote one of the scenarios that goes into the um, Keeper screen. And myself, I wrote one of the introduction scenarios that's in the core rulebook and very uh, play-tested the rules for the best part of the last five years. Right. Um, we got together starting off going in Paul's shed, so we have real good production values um, to basically discuss Call of Cthulhu and all things associated with it and horror gaming in general. So nice to see we've got a variety of uh, different genres, everything from GW, sci-fi, game, game theory, um, bounce around ideas and so forth. So, but we, we very much go down the horror angle, that's, that's the kind of the shtick that we have. Um, we'd normally bounce around ideas off, ourself, um, off ourselves. Um, Paul, having a very 70s mindset, always seems to be uh, a few decades behind the rest of us. Um, <laughs> Scott, filling, uh, Scott turning the air blue with uh, more F-words than you find in uh, <laughs> find the guy Richie Phil. Um, and myself, who would occasionally just bounce off and make the occasional, uh, the occasional sarcastic comment. Um, my um, shtick is we always use the same intro. Um, so, welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, for horror, horror, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm the horror gaming in general guy, and I look um, a little bit outside the box at times. And one of the things that got me thinking recently is uh, a topic that we covered in one of our shows that I wish we'd had a bit more time to discuss because we pulled our listenership a while back and we found that they generally wanted a. Um, an episode length of somewhere in the region of about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. We, we could have quite happily gone on chatting a long time about this, um, about this particular su um, subject. Um, I want to poll the audience to see if we can get a few more um, a few more angles. For those of you that do horror gaming, do you want to raise your hands and run horror games? Yes! Good! It's not just me! <laughs> good! I got, I got saps. Um, when you've, um, particularly whether it's Call of Cthulhu, whether it's any other horror game, um, if you're looking at a real-world setting, um, regardless of where, whereabouts in the world it is, what time period is it that interests you and why? Um, we'll go that way and skirt around. Okay. Um, uh, I, can, I think for me, the, the, the period of the classic Call of Cthulhu era 
uh, the 20s and the 30s really appeals to me because it's accessible to people because there's still things like telephones and guns and cars and things like that. But because it's of an earlier era, there is sort of this air of exoticism to it, especially the the Cthulhu stuff that um, leans more sort of on the pulp tropes of, you know, uh, that Masks of Nair Lathotep really kind of injected into the line. Um, but even outside of that, there are people who, who really seem to get into the whole, like, oh, I'm a fast-talking gangster, and oh, and there's also horror, uh, horror stuff that tries to eat me, but that stuff is really, really neat. And uh, that's an era that uh, I think the, the game has led me to sort of do research on and, and read about outside of it just because it's fascinating to me. Especially when you mentioned about uh, phones, uh, one of the uh, common answers I've heard in answer to that same topic is that, oh great, you suddenly, um, suddenly you don't have a mobile phone, it's a lot easier to isolate people and so on. Yeah, you mentioned phones early on, so uh, good indication. Uh, that's actually really interesting you should say that because I would say pre-cell phones. Hey! <laughs> Mainly because I don't want to look at my cell phone and be completely scared of it later. <laughs> But it, I think it makes it more challenging, it makes it more fun, it makes the characters be more resourceful and definitely use their minds more and kind of gets them more involved in what's going on and just gets them deeper into the absolute horror that is like the Call of Cthulhu stuff. I'm just terrified when I ever look at my cell phone for the bill I'd rack up if it's <laughs> airplane mode over here. That too. <laughs> Who else had their hands up? Uh, my favorite period for horror games is the 1980s. It is pre-cell phones, uh, largely. Uh, Ronald Reagan was president, which is horrifying as is. And it, what, that's what's cool is there's this kind of dark uh, undertext to a very like shiny veneer where everyone is happy and partying and listening to really bad music and doing a lot of cocaine. So I just think it's a cool like scene to then inject horrible things into. Quick question for you then. Have you played um, Vampire the Requiem? I have indeed played Vampire the Requiem. Have you played uh, New Wave Requiem yet? Uh, I have not. I, I, I own a 1980s source book for an, uh, white, well, like an older White Wolf one, and I thought it was great. So I've, I've never actually gotten to play with it, though. Good. I'd, I'd love to say the Cthulhu Gaslight setting, like the uh, Victorian, but uh, mm -hmm. thinking more about it, I, I really do like modern day now, and even with technology... Uh, the whole concept of making that technology now useless to the character adds that element of horror because once it's modern it becomes much more relatable. The horrors that you put out as a GM, the players can become more ingrained with because it's horrors they can imagine their own lives. So a lot more of a connection with the, uh, with the audience. <laughs> Who else had their hand up? People I did have my hand up, but oh, I was also yeah, using yeah. present time for the same, for the same reason. I think that like it's easier for me as a person running the game to get my players invested if they can uh, feel more like they relate to the characters, not like they're putting on a costume and, and pretending they're someone else. I think that if you can you know, make it a little bit uh, personal, I guess, for lack of a better term, I, I, I really enjoy those types of fear in my games. So. And I know as Ben's quite partial to Cthulhu, what about yourself? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to sound very un unoriginal now because I agree with uh, the last few speakers who said now. I mean, even though you do have to deal with modern technology, I, I, especially in a Cthulhu 
game, I feel like it's not impossible. The Necronomicon shouldn't be online. If it is, it's, the world is over, you know? Um, if you Google something and it comes up, that's a serious problem and Delta Green has failed. Um, and uh, also, I do have a, a huge weakness for Delta Green, which is all obviously so linked to something like modernity. Um, I will probably cry when I go to the Delta Green seminar again and hear, ah, it's Delta Green's still not out at Gen Con, guys. Sorry, still, still no Delta Green. But uh, so I would go modern, modern day. Well, I think when you say about the internet, uh, one of the ideas of a scenario I had bouncing around in my head for a, um, for a while back to do as a modern setting would be a uh, different take on a flame war. Um, yeah, if you start an argument over a, um, over a forum, if someone really doesn't like you, have, a, um, have their flame ward be to summon a fire vampire on the rest. So suddenly so you find lots of charred corpses sat at computers. <laughs> um, for those that say that I do like to go a little bit beyond um, the modern setting, or rather backwards from the modern setting, uh, one of the pre-releases that they've got on the Chaosium stand is they have a, li a limited run of uh, Cthulhu Dark Ages 2nd Edition by Chad Bowser. Um, myself and Chad are going to be running demos for Chaosium across uh, most of the uh, most of the convention. Um, myself from between ten and twelve. I think Chad's doing pretty much all, all throughout the day. But yeah, there's some um, there's some fairly big names that are running around the around the Chaosium stand, obviously with their change of management and so forth. So there's yeah, there's a definite um, visible presence this year. How are we doing on time, Ben? You have I think a minute, or you can be done. Let me see. In my pocket, forty five seconds. I think. Um, See if I talk really slowly. Could I should you explain? Be... <laughs> could you explain the Chaosium change in management? Because I got uh, an email about it. But... Wide, wide scale. Um, that's pretty much summing it up in one word. Um, the there is an interview that Paul of Cthulhu put up on yogsofoth.com that explains that uh, Charlie Crank is no longer the CEO of well, the president of Chaosium Incorporated. That after an internal management decision that they um, decided to remove him from position. Um, he's been replaced by Greg Stafford, one of the original founders of Chaosium, and with Sandy Peterson back at the, um, back on board as a creative cons uh, creative consultant. So it's very much gone back to its roots. Um, they do have a couple of other um, pre-release items at uh, at the convention as well. They've got Alone Against the Flame, which is their first solo adventure uh, for Cthulhu in about twenty odd years or more. So yeah, there's some good good stuff down there. So how do people find uh, the good friends of Jackson Elias and support you on Patreon? Uh, they <laughs> yes, there is a Patreon plug there. Um, the best place to go and find us is at blasphemoustomes.com. Uh, we have various social media, but I'm rather averse to social media, so I'll leave. Uh, I'll usually leave Scott and Paul to talk about that. But there are plenty of links from Blasphemous Tomes. That's where pretty much everything leads back to there. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. Woo! And now we have our uh, last podcast, which is being uh, MP3'd in. Uh, it is The Signal, which won the golden... Oh, wait. Silver. Silver, thank you. Uh, sorry, Scott. Uh, which won the Silver Any for Best podcast last year. Uh, it is a Numenera podcast. And uh, this is done special for Gen Con. I'm Vox, an informed Jack who tells tales, and this is The Signal. If you can hear me, know that it is not by chance. This broadcast is directed 
at you. You and your traveling companions. You may be looking at each other in surprise or confusion, but rest assured, no other living soul can hear me at this moment. If you hear my voice, take heed. You are in terrible, immediate danger. So listen closely. Do you hear it? The strange baying in the night under the light of the moon? Have you noticed it's been drawing closer on each subsequent night? If you haven't been paying attention to it, you'll certainly notice it tonight. And it's very close now, isn't it? Whatever could it be? And why is it getting closer? She's been stalking you for several days. A young woman skilled in moving through the wilderness and following trails. She's pursuing you because, knowingly or not, you took something that belongs to her, and she desperately needs it back. She needs it because it keeps the other away, the thing that takes hold of her in the night when the light of the moon touches her. It takes hold of her mind and rips its way through her flesh, bursting forth hungry for sentient meat. She has no control over it, except for that which you took. That is the only thing that will suppress the other. The only thing that acts as her salvation. She doesn't necessarily mean to harm you. Her hope is that she can reach you by day, deal with you, get back what she desperately needs. If necessary, she is prepared to fight, and she's a skilled glaive, no pushover. The problem is, the moon is already out, and the other is awake, an innocent woman trapped within, and it's near, Numenera hunters. Oh, so near, and it can smell you. Assuming you survive the night, and I have faith that you will, there is something else that may interest you. In fact, it's the real reason I'm broadcasting to you. Not far from you, to the south, perhaps an hour's hike, an unusual bit of the Numenera has fallen from the sky. In a small crater lies a sphere, small enough to hold in one hand. It glows blue when touched and radiates some warmth. It's not fragile. Indeed, it cannot be damaged by any tool or ability your group possesses. There are parties, Numenera hunters, interested parties who want to possess this oddity. It may seem useless to you, but the impact of it falling into the wrong hands could be devastating and far-reaching. Take it. Hide it. Hurl it back into the cosmos. Find some trustworthy ally you can be sure will never misuse it, or perhaps better yet, find some power or some means of destroying it. This orb is an egg full of wondrous, terrible potential. And if you get there fast enough, that potential will be in your hands. Assuming, of course, that you survive the night. This broadcast must end. Act fast and act decisively, Numenera hunters. And don't forget, keep listening. I'll be back with more tales from the steadfast, the beyond, and farther still. Yay to see, Numenera hunters. I'm Vox, and Signal.
Greetings. This is Chris Cotterba, often referred to as Producer Chris by the folks at Plot Points. I would like to thank everyone who contributed to our first ever podcast aganza. Role-playing public radio, NPC cast, the good friends of Jackson Elias, Grimdark, The Signal, and of course, Plot Points. This episode was edited and produced at Rainbird Studio, where we are so underground, we are in the basement. Thanks again, and we'll see you next year.